Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed That's the sound of people gathering in Fresno, clamoring for the state to reopen business. Fresno City Councilman Gary Bredefeld says the governor is not listening to inland California. These politicians are not doctors. They're not economists. Many are drunk with newfound power, and they've imposed the heavy hand of government and an authoritarian rather than common sense approach to dealing with the serious health crisis. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Rural parts of California have had lower numbers of coronavirus cases, but the economic shutdown is hitting them hard. So much so that some counties are defying the governor's stay-at-home orders and opening back up. Modoc County which is in the northeastern part of the state, has just 9,000 residents and no confirmed cases of COVID-19. Businesses, schools, and churches have recently reopened there. And Sutter and Yuba counties near Sacramento have allowed some businesses to open, including nail salons and tattoo parlors. Yuba County's public information officer, Russ Brown, says they had to weigh the risk from COVID against the fact that the blow to the local economy has taken a toll on people's health. They're not going to the doctor because of finances, or they're choosing between eating and buying medications. We're seeing that here in this community. But Governor Gavin Newsom says their decision to defy his orders is dangerous. They're making a big mistake. They're putting their public at risk. They're putting our progress at risk. To the extent that they go further, uh, they put those businesses at risk. Still, some county officials like Mendocino County Sheriff Matt Kendall say local health officers should have the power to figure out what works for their communities when it comes to easing restrictions. If we don't listen to what people say, we will have the protests. And, you know, the next thing you know, we've got these crowds that are gathering, which are exactly what we don't want. Sheriff Kendall says it's almost like rural counties are in a different state apart from the coast because they're so sparsely populated and they have so much open space. We have to look at what's reasonable for Mendocino County because we don't look like San Francisco, we don't look like Los Angeles. The state has laid out some additional guidelines to acknowledge those regional differences across California. Counties are gonna have to meet certain criteria when it comes to testing and infection rates if they wanna open up more. Today on our show, we're going to go beyond the hype of a divided California to actually hear how some rural communities, particularly in the foothills and mountains of the Sierra, are coping right now. We don't have the kind of money and the the resources to weather through this stuff, and we are the last ones to ever get aid. 
We'll also hear from a Yosemite worker living inside the nearly empty park without a paycheck. And we'll meet the editor of a tiny Foothill newspaper that's been in print since the gold rush. Now he's keeping people connected to the latest coronavirus news and to each other. And he says even though the county relies on tourism, some residents are worried about outsiders bringing the virus in. I mean, there are people up here who would like to have us stop people at the county line. I mean, it's really ironic that this, this county lives off of people coming to visit. Our only export is, is the beauty we've got. All these stories are coming to us this week from student journalists at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. It's part of a coronavirus reporting project the school is working on with the New York Times. The international frog jump gets underway at Angel's Camp, California. The croakers bear such distinguished names as Winnie and Clem from England. For these slithery monsters, the length of the jump is measured in a straight line from the start to the end of the third jump. We're going to start in Calaveras County. It's a place you might recognize because it's got an almost century-old frog jumping competition that it holds each May. We got the frog down. One, two. Go! Go! Go get her, too! It was canceled this year due to the coronavirus, but the shelter-in-place restrictions have shuttered an even older Calaveras gem. Reporter Will McCarthy has the story. The Murphy's Historic Hotel which sits on a street corner in the heart of California's gold country, is a two-story stone building with moss-green shuttered windows and a wrought iron balcony. To my knowledge, it's never been completely shut down and not operated in the 160, almost four years. Until now. Brian Goss says owning the hotel feels like owning a museum. It's a gold rush relic, a piece of history that has seen generations of Californians pass through since 1856. Now, for the first time in its storied existence, the building sits empty. The significance of having to finally close down wasn't lost on him. We've had a couple big fires come through here. We didn't close. Um, You know, with the PG&E shutdowns in California, we didn't close. You know, we had the bar open by candlelight and we were cooking food out on the barbecue. But the impacts of COVID-19 defy even this Wild West frontier type of resiliency, which, by the way, is something Murphy's has a lot of. Gold was discovered. And by 1852, they said there was a pretty big town here. A very big town. The Gold Rush version of Murphy's actually had a larger population in 1850 than it does now. One livery stable, seven blacksmith shops, two steam sawmills. That's historian Judith Marvin, reading to me from a diary account of Murphy's written during the Gold Rush. (laughs) Three-story hotel, mattresses and blankets void of fleas. There's eight taverns, two restaurants, one express and banking house. $20 million in gold, a lot of it in the creek right behind the historic hotel. But then came Murphy's first big bust. And then all the easy gold was found, and the whole county went into a big depression. But Murphy's just kind of staggered along. The Murphy's Hotel weathered all the storms, both the economic and the literal ones. Throughout the years, it hosted Mark Twain, Susan B. Anthony, J.P. Morgan. The town itself just scraped by until the current boom came along. Tourism. Here's longtime resident Bob Russell. Any time of the year, Murphy's is crowded. I mean, there's cars on the street. 
and there's people walking almost every day all year round. The old one-horse town kind of main street is now lined with 25 wine tasting rooms, an artisan ice cream shop, a pet store selling elaborate dog vests. But at least for now, they're all shuttered. It's the latest bust, and Bob's worried many businesses won't be able to survive. The next five months or six months is when everybody makes their money. You try to make it and break even or not lose too much coming around till next year at this time again. If businesses lose tourist traffic the whole summer, things could get really bad. But Bob Russell still has a pioneer mindset about the situation. I'm born and raised Californian, and I've always been a big believer that California always, in spite of some of our situations, always overcomes things. Uh, I think it'll survive. If the town can rebound, it will likely start with the 164-year-old Murphy's Hotel. But other businesses might not bounce back, like Doke Sushi. Over the past six years, Josh Steck built a small restaurant into a local favorite. When you walked into a Japanese kitchen, it was always like magic in there. So it was the one that I, I felt like I could never get bored of doing. <laughs> so far, Josh says Doke Sushi has lost 90% of its business. Even worse, the coronavirus hit right as businesses in Murphy's were coming out of the slowest part of the year. Locals are trying to support the restaurants, but without visitors, it's hard to make do. I'm not quite sure we could make it through the summer. So I don't even know if we would make it that long. I feel like we could probably make it another month or so. Josh says that based on his conversations with other small business owners, everyone is in the same boat. He believes the personal touch, exactly the thing that attracts visitors to Murphy's, could be lost for good. I think this is uh, some sort of turning point. Um, we don't have the, the kind of money and the resources to weather through this stuff, and we are the last ones to ever get aid. Historian Judith Marvin says it's going to be a while before Murphy's can recover. But I think we have to reinvent ourselves, as do does everyone, you know, um, and it's not going to be mining. <laughs> From her understanding of Murphy's history, the busts usually last much longer than the booms. For The California Report, I'm Will McCarthy. Now we're going to head to western Sierra County to the small town of Downeyville. It's home to California's longest-running weekly newspaper, The Mountain Messenger, which started printing back in 1853. The paper is pretty legendary in these parts. It's got a Mark Twain connection, too. He was once a contributor. Now, earlier this year, the paper's ink almost dried up until a new owner stepped in to keep the presses running. As Katie Bernstein tells us, he's a newspaper editor who's become a lifeline for folks in this remote community where news about the coronavirus is hard to come by. Downeyville is an old mining town of about 300 people. It's surrounded by forest in a canyon, and it sits at the fork of two rivers. The population is older. There's no hospital for miles, and the internet service is spotty. The town itself is like a time capsule. The newsroom of the Mountain Messenger sits on the second floor of an old mud and rock building with a veranda overlooking Main Street. The paper's new owner, Carl Butts, says a newspaper helps to keep a community thriving. If you don't have a newspaper, your identity goes away. You you know, people can't, uh, they don't know what other people are doing. You know, it isolates you to not have some common ground that, that everybody knows about. 
Carl says part of what he's doing at the Mountain Messenger is what he calls scrapbook journalism. People want to see photographs of themselves, of people they know in the paper. As editor, he covers county board meetings and local poetry contests and writes a lot about the history and culture of the town. He also dispels local rumors. Recently, Carl received a call from a man in Sierra City saying he heard the Mountain Messenger had gone digital. I was able to squelch this rumor and say that the Mountain Messenger has absolutely no plans to ever abandon newsprint. His staff is tiny. It's Carl and a part-time office manager, but he's rich in local volunteers. I'm encouraging people to, to send in their stories because we shouldn't let this writing business be taken over by professionals. He's got a sixth grader who's transcribing oral histories and a 90-year-old who's writing out parts of his memoir about the summer of 48 in Downeyville. But lately, Carl's also been printing pieces on unemployment and tracking COVID-19 cases in neighboring counties. The COVID crisis has been the death knell of already struggling newspapers and weeklies across the country, as advertisements and other funding sources have dropped off. The Mountain Messenger almost met the same fate. Don Russell, the paper's former owner, put the paper up for sale last year after running it for nearly 30 years. There weren't many bites, and most people thought it was the end of the paper's long streak. But Carl rescued it from certain death. Don Russell, the old editor, thought I was absolutely you know, bonkers to even consider buying the paper. Why? You couldn't make any money on it. And I know he didn't make much money on the damn thing over the years. Carl is 71, he's tall and lanky, he chain smokes, he's got a silver front tooth and he smiles easily. He used to work as a computer programmer and a labor economist for the state. He gets social security payments, so he didn't need the paper to earn him a paycheck. When it got down to it, I, I just couldn't stomach the idea of it not continuing. Most days, Carl works out of the newsroom, cup of coffee in hand, probably smoking, typing out headlines in the cluttered newspaper office. Unless it's Thursday. Thursday is printing day at the press, which is in Quincy, a 90-minute drive from Downeyville. You'd go up North Fork of the Yuba for about, oh, I don't know, 25 miles, and it's just a majestic view every time. Once he gets to Quincy, he picks up the paper from the press. He packs the stacks in his truck and sets off across Sierra County. Carl is also the delivery man. I've got uh, Quincy, Portola, Calpine, Sierraville, uh, Loyalton, Sierra City, Downeyville, Camptonville, Nevada City, Grass Valley. After he saved the paper, his story received national press and his subscriber numbers went up. He sells about 300 papers a week in newsstands across the county, but he's got nearly 800 subscribers across 36 states. But in Sierra County, readers rely on the Mountain Messenger as a primary source of local news. At last check, there were no confirmed cases of COVID here. But people are worried. The closest hospital is an hour's drive away. They hope the tourists stay home. There's all kinds of talk about, you know, all these, these people are coming up here bringing the the virus with them. I mean, there are people up here who would like to have us stop people at the county line. I mean, it's really ironic that this, this county lives off of people coming to visit. Our only export is, is the beauty we've got. Carl lives in a rustic cabin on the side of a mountain, totally off the grid. He's got no cell service, no internet. His daughter lives out of town and is worried about him, especially after he was snowed in for days up there in March. At her urging, Carl moved into the newsroom. He brought in a futon, set up a makeshift kitchen in the old dark room, plugged in a Mr. Coffee Maker. 
He's been making soft-boiled eggs in an electric kettle. I like it, actually. It's no commute. I'm here to work. There's always work to do on the newspaper. <laughs> in the first issue after he took over the paper, Carl wrote in his editor's letter describing the times in his life that newspapers had been with him. He wrote, Newspapers have affirmed my existence time and time again. Keeping this paper alive is maintaining a love affair. He says, in some ways, keeping the paper going was like a protest, a fight against losing the essential things. But there's a certain amount of rebellion that's involved in what I've done. And that, God damn it, <laughs> no. If I have a chance to make a difference in this, I'm gonna do it. We'll see how long I last, but so far, so good. And the Mountain Messenger presses on another day. For the California Report, I'm Katie Bernstein. You're listening to the California Report magazine. We're devoting our show this week to stories from student journalists at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. They've been reporting on the impact of COVID-19 in Sierra, Mountain, and Foothill communities in California. Now, we've been hearing about folks who've been grappling with the loss of tourism and the impact that that's had on local businesses. But what if you live in a place with no infrastructure no nearby stores, and with the nearest hospital 28 miles away. Well, that's the situation for about 350 workers who are still living inside Yosemite National Park during the shutdown. When the park closed back in March, it was difficult for all the employees. But as reporter Ellie Lightfoot tells us, disabled workers are especially vulnerable. James Thompson believes the only reason he got hired to work at the tour desk at Yosemite was that he was blessed with a phone interview. You don't see my wheelchair, you don't see my dog, you don't see the fact that I've got a backpack on my back right now. The backpack where he was keeping all of his possessions because he'd been homeless for months. His $943 disability check couldn't cover his housing costs in Sacramento. You can't do it even with a roommate. You have to choose between food and rent. He wound up sleeping in a storage unit. Just threw an inflatable mattress and stuff in there. Um, and if I really couldn't find a place to sleep for too long, I, I would go there and just sort of trespass to sleep. The job at Yosemite seemed like a chance to start over. The pay was $13.75 an hour, but that doubles what he received on disability. Plus, his housing is subsidized by the National Park Service. It's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, like, like, Full-time, please, 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 overtime, 365 days a year, I'm your guy. I was very passionate about not starving. James is 40, and he has cerebral palsy. I'm not very well coordinated. Uh, left hand is really slow and clumsy. I can't play guitar, even though I love rock and roll. At Yosemite, he threw himself into his job. Loved learning all about the park, um, especially all that, the weird knowledge base that a guy like me wouldn't have. He spent hours looking over the maps and soon was able to give hikers advice on trails he couldn't even access. For the first time in his life, he felt part of a community, one that really valued him. He's somebody that wants to work. He does not want to be held back by his disability. Shows up every day, didn't miss work. That's his coworker John Franz, who manned the front desk with James at Badger Pass Ski Lodge. He'll do anything for anybody. He's just a good guy. When COVID-19 hit, James had been working there for a year. On March 20th, the park closed down. He was technically working for Airmark, the company Yosemite contracts out to. 
Aramark workers can stay in their housing but are not getting paid. This is tough on all employees, but especially on James. I'm growing broke fast. His situation is pretty complicated. When James started working, he was getting both a paycheck and disability benefits. But those benefits were reduced to practically nothing. Every dollar he earned took away 50 cents from his disability check. But while all his coworkers are collecting unemployment right now, James doesn't qualify. For the whole month of April, he had $300 to live on. What are you going to do about your health? What are you going to do about the lack of infrastructure and medical care and emergency services and food security? He used to rely on the free meals they served at the lodge. But with the hotels and kitchens closed, that's not an option. Aramark is giving their employees $5 vouchers for food. But that money will come out of their paychecks when they start working again. And James says it's low quality. Instead, he wheels himself a mile to the village store, priced for tourists, where a pack of chicken breasts costs $20. And cooking it up in the communal kitchen that's not adapted for a person in a wheelchair is potentially dangerous. I don't want to wear a welding mask just to make some stir-fry, but that's happened. I mean, I've gotten hot grease in my eye. I've gotten like a, a conventional stovetop because it's up to my face. His doctor is telling him he's malnourished. His immune system is half as strong as what it should be. I know a lot of the attitude out here is just going to be like, well, this is not the place for you. Practically speaking, people are right. This, this can't be a long-term thing for me. But James won't let himself think like that for too long. He has no other option, nowhere to go. When the park reopens, James says he'll go back to work. For now, though, he calms himself by looking out of his window. I see trees, beautiful trees swaying in the wind, evergreens, while little rivulets of water just drip down granite, granite mountain walls. It's gorgeous. For the California Report, I'm Ellie Lightfoot. And now we're going to head to Alpine County. It's California's least populous county. They've only got about 1,200 residents. And there are only a few businesses in the whole county, including a tiny market off Highway 88 called the Mad Dog Cafe. It literally sits on an old stop on the Pony Express, Woodford's Station. And as reporter Wyatt Kroof tells us, they have a deli and they sell a lot of sandwiches, but that's not their main draw. A lot of Mad Dog's customers come in just to play lotto. Here's owner Jennifer Quilisi. Yeah, the lotto is quite interesting. <laughs> it's fascinating to see how many people are so uh, passionate about the lottery that I hear day in and day out that they've been playing it for 30 years since since it opened. And a lot of my customers are retired, and, and I ask them, I, so if you win the millions, what are you going to do with all this money? For them, hitting big on the lotto is just a dream. But for Kulisi, the revenue from her lotto sales pays for most of her employees' salaries. I um, generate a lot of revenue, over a million dollars a year, in revenue for the lotto, and I get a commission off of that. Because they're a deli, Mad Dog stayed open when shelter-in-place orders came down in March. In fact, their lotto sales went up because they were one of the last stores around where you could still buy a lotto ticket. Plus, they already had a steady flow of older, retired Nevadans looking to scratch their lottery itch. My store, we're only about six miles from the Nevada border. The state of Nevada does not have the lottery. They have the casinos. However, a lot of people come over the border to play the lottery. Retiree customers are among the highest risk population for the coronavirus. So Quilisi took precautionary measures. 
disinfecting the store with Clorox wipes regularly, cones to keep people six feet apart. But it didn't always work. We placed all the chairs upside down on the tables. However, some of my Lotto customers decided that they needed to sit down and started to take the chairs down. So we had to make another step to remove the chairs and actually physically take them upstairs. Khaleesi was concerned about her employees' health, too. Joy Howell manages the store, and her husband Chris is a clerk. A particular uh, guy came in. He was hacking and coughing, and, you know, he made a comment to Joy, like, well, I don't even care if I die. And Joy looked at him and says, well, I do, you know. Alpine County's public health officer was concerned, too. He encouraged Khaleesi to close Mad Dog so that lottery customers would stop making the trip from Nevada. Alpine is the only county in California with no hospital beds, so any outbreak could quickly overrun the health clinic, which is only open two days a week. In early April, Khaleesi decided to shut down. She says her customers seem to understand, but every time an employee would park in the lot to check on the store, more cars would pull up with people asking if they were open again. I thought, you know, if, if this goes longer than a month that I have to close, then I'm going to be hurting and I may actually have to close my business for good. So far, only one resident in Alpine County has tested positive for COVID-19, and that person has recovered. So Khaleesi got the go-ahead from the county public health officer to slowly reopen over the last week, with health precautions like tape to keep people apart and plexiglass separating customers and employees. She thinks this will be the new normal for a while. So I'm going to leave the tape on the floor and continually to ask people to you know, keep their six-foot distance in the store. The plexiglass I will leave probably on the counter for, I'm guessing, at least a year to see how it goes. And I, yeah, I think everything's going to change now. Really, people are going to be mindful of what can happen and how things can change so quickly. Even though they can only come in a few at a time, Mad Dog's regulars are thrilled. The lottery sales for Monday and Tuesday, typically the slowest days, were double their average. My lot of customers are extremely happy that I'm open again. <laughs> the phone has been nonstop ringing. It must have rang a hundred times, which is people asking if I was open yet. So I'm sure by this weekend, business is going to be booming again, just like it was last summer. Maybe the next lucky ticket for the California Mega Millions Lottery will come from Mad Dog Cafe. For the California Report, I'm Wyatt Kruth. Doesn't matter which of California's 58 counties you live in, the coronavirus pandemic has been tough for all of us. We've been asking you to call into our voicemail to let us know how you're finding joy during these tough times. Hi, my name is Jesse Greenwood. I live in Ukiah, California, and I have a whole raft of things that are keeping me happy. I'm finishing my sci-fi novel and working on a comic strip. I'm getting more regard work done than I ever thought possible. <laughs> Dancing a little bit and listening to all kinds of music and learning how to play Stairway to Heaven on a ukulele. <laughs> and a new day will dawn for those who stand long and afar.
What about you? What are you doing to find joy right now? We'd love to know. Leave us a voicemail at 415-636-9801. That's 415-636-9801. And we might air it on our show in the coming weeks. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. Our show is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Maleon is our senior editor. Amanda Font is our director. And Rob Spate is our technical producer. We had additional engineering from Seal Muller. Our team also includes Ariella Markowitz, Kate Wolf, and Alex Hall. Special thanks this week to Ethan Lindsay and Anna Sussman for sharing their student stories from the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. Also, thanks to the Ledger Dispatch in Jackson and to Jacob Job at the Sound and Light Ecology Project. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry, no sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.